Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 4, Episode 2, Living Conditions, and, to a lesser extent, Angel, Episode 2, Season 1, um, Lonely Hearts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get better at that, like, it's just too long. Um, I don't know, anyway. Hi guys, how you doing? Um, in contrast to the last episode, which I only posted like two days ago, three days ago, I am recording this episode a day early. Um, just, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, get my little rant out of the way because I have to tell you why I'm, ep I'm posting this episode a day early. I'm going to be good and I'm still going to watch the episode of Buffy at least, um, so this is the podcast in which I discuss, recap, rehash, re-all the things every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel exactly 20 years after its original air date. So last week, which I only posted three days ago, I fucked up and I didn't watch it on the day, but that's the first time I haven't watched the episode on the day. It just completely slipped my mind. I had planned to do it and it didn't happen. So I decided I'd give myself three of those. So that's the first. Um, so I am still going to watch this episode of Buffy, even though I'm posting the, um, I'm recording and posting the podcast episode a day early. Um, but I'm still going to watch it tomorrow. I'm not going to forget this time. I hope. Um, cause that would really suck if I give myself three of those and I get two of them out of the way immediately. Anyway, I'm not doing that same thing with Angel, by the way which I've told you guys before. So let's get into it. Um, the reason I'm recording a day early and I'm going to complain about something that I think most people would not have a problem with, but I'm just like a crotchety introverted hermit type person. I'm starting to realize, I mean, I've always been that kind of person, but I'm starting to really accept it in myself. Like I made the mistake of when I bought a house, I bought a house in a very, what I would consider to be claustrophobic neighborhood. It's a very neighborhoody neighborhood. Like the houses are extremely close together. Like for example, if you look out, when I look out my kitchen window, um, the window of the house next to us is, I mean, it's probably 10 or 15 feet, but it's just right the fuck there. You know, the, the house next door is right the fuck there. And it's like that with houses on both sides of me. And I don't know. I, it's one of those things like you don't realize how much is going to bother you until you're there. You know, <clears throat> I'm also less than a block. Like in the past I've said block and a half away, but no, really it's, it's like a block. I'm a block from an elementary school. So highly populated neighborhood, um, houses really close together, a block from a fucking elementary school. And I'm a person that is childless by choice and I'm never going to have children. Um, I have a niece and a nephew, but, um, they live far away from me, so I don't see them that often. So I just don't have a lot of 
children that are voluntarily in my life. Like, no shade to you if you like children and have them of your own, but it's just not part of my life path to be a mother. But I live a block from an elementary school. So, like, there's a lot of children that live in this neighborhood. There's a lot of children that hang out in this neighborhood. At the very least, when school gets out, it is noisy with children. <laughs> I'm not a children person. But anyway, all of that is to say, in addition to all of that, which is just the normal day-to-day -day chaos of living in the neighborhood that I live in, we also, I, the house that we live in that we bought is pretty indicative of most houses in the general vicinity of this neighborhood. It is a historic neighborhood. Um, my friend Jill is like part of the like historic preservation society um, board for our town and she also lives in this neighborhood in a historic house. She wants us to get our house registered as a historic house. But along with that comes a lot of bullshit. Like, you have regulations set upon you. If you voluntarily decide to put your house on a historic registry, um, which ours is eligible. I don't know if it's just el eligible because of the age. It was built in 1905. So... It's a very old house and I do love it. I love a lot of things about it. You know, we don't have any plans to like buy a new house anytime soon. It's a little too big for us and we don't really love the neighborhood. Anyway, <laughs> you guys didn't sign up for all that information, but it's just to give you some backstory that um, since it's a historic neighborhood, they've started this thing because it's like a hipster upcoming historic part of the neighborhood, which does mean actually that if we do decide to sell our house, like we could probably get a lot more for it than we paid for it, which is nice um, because it's like valuable to people, I guess, but I don't care about any of that shit, property values, but it just would be nice in general if we could get some money out of it because we're broke people. So um, really the only thing we have of any value is the house. So anyway, all of that is just to say they have this thing in our town that they started three years ago. So we've had to be present for each one of these events because we've lived here since they started doing this bullshit. I think this is the third year. Um, called Porch Fest. And it's happening the day that I would normally be recording. It's happening on the 12th that I would normally be recording the episode for you guys. And what it is, is basically, and I'll, this is probably going to sound really cool to a lot of people listening, but again, I'm a crotchety old hermit lady and I don't like this shit. So basically what it is, is um, people sign up to have bands play on their porch and then a bunch of food trucks come in and it's just, you know, it's a huge thing where like hundreds of people come. The parking is ridiculous. You, you can't, you can't get in and out of our fucking house once this shit starts. It's like a big stupid festival thing. And I say this because like, I'm not against this kind of shit. Like community stuff is cool. I love food trucks. You know, I love music. Like all of this shit is cool on paper, except that it's happening in your neighborhood, whether you want it to or not. In my case, you know, I didn't sign up for this. I'm not hosting a band on my porch. I'm not, you know, I don't want to be involved in this, but our house is essentially like, as far as like the neighborhood is concerned, we have like, 
several bands playing in our neighborhood, one right next door. Um, the food trucks are going to be like within a block of our house. Like basically our house is ground zero for this shit. And I am not a crowds person. <laughs> um, so even if I tried to just like stay in my house and stay calm and go ahead and record the podcast, I'll, you would just hear crowds in the background and it would just be annoying. So I can't record my podcast tomorrow at the time that I normally would. So that makes me cranky. So that's why I'm recording a day early, but also I'm going to feel obligated to get the fuck out of my house. Cause I'm going to feel trapped inside my house. If I'm here during that whole thing, <sighs> I know many of you guys are like, that sounds fun. If you could just walk out your front door and enjoy some music and walk to a food truck, which we did last year, last year, we tried to like participate. We like went out to where all the food trucks were. We got some food we walked around a little bit, but I hated every single second of it, to be honest. I just, I really can't force myself to have fun in big crowds. Like I'm not a carnival person. I'm not a, I'm not a concert person. Like every once in a while, a musical artist will be important enough to me that I will brave the crowds of a concert, but it's just not for me. Anyway, um, <laughs> that is why I'm recording a day early. Let's get into it. I'm going to have to plan an exit strategy, which I haven't really done yet. We have to make sure that like at least an hour or two before the whole thing is supposed to start, we need to make sure that we're at the very least that we park our cars somewhere several blocks away, because if we do want to leave our house, we're not going to be able to actually get out of our neighborhood with a vehicle or at least move one of our vehicles to somewhere several blocks away so at least we can walk to our cars and get out <laughs> my god i just hate this shit so much anyway that's just me i'm basically angel you know that's that's my personality type i would just like to sit in the dark and read a book which we will get to because that's part of okay let's talk about it buffy living condition so this is the one where kathy her um dorm mate is annoying as fuck and then you find out she's also a demon let's read the nikki stafford um episode description buffy believes her annoying new dorm roommate is evil while everyone around her assumes she's just starting to lose it this is another situation in like countless times we've seen this and countless more times we will see it where buffy is insisting that a certain situation is, you know, this person's a demon or this situation is weird. I can feel it. And everyone ignores her. This happens time and time again. <laughs> and she even kind of points it out in this episode, the like, look guys, after all we've been through, you're still not going to trust me. I'm telling you she's evil. <laughs> but her, I understand in this particular instance, I feel like they make a pretty compelling point through the plot points and everything else. I think this is an isolated incident wherein it kind of makes sense that people don't believe her because, you know, when she's complaining about her roommate, she's just sort of like, she labels all her food. She irons her jeans. Like the, the anecdotes that she has to back up why Buffy thinks that Kathy is evil are ridiculous. So it's possible that this, in this particular case, Buffy is just using 
She's just saying that Kathy's evil because Kathy annoys her, and she just happens to be right in this case. It's possible. Um, so this one particular instance of Buffy not being trusted doesn't annoy me like most of these other incidences do. Um, let's see. So this one was written by Marty Noxon, so we love Marty. I... This is one of the episodes that, this happens a lot with Buffy, that like while I'm thinking about it and anticipating it and doing research for it before I've actually watched it, I dread it. But then when I actually watch it, I'm like, oh no, this is a fun episode. <laughs> like it's really cheesy. Basically the whole thing is just like, it's just like the whole normal life as metaphor. It's, or demons as metaphor for normal life situation like basically almost the entire episode is just about a passive aggressive roommate slash doormate slash whatever like we've all had these instances in our life um i haven't had like the only time i ever had a roommate i was also simultaneously living with my michael my partner my life partner and, um, so we lived with one of my friends and that was a little interesting because I am not really a passive aggressive person. You know, I'm the kind of person that like, if I have a problem with you, I'm going to talk to you about it. If it's, you know, I don't always like, I'm not confrontational or anything, but like, you know, if I'm living with a person and an issue is something that truly needs to be dealt with. I will like call a family meeting or something and I'll deal with it. You know, I'm not passive aggressive, but both my Michael and my good friend, when we all lived together, the two of them were pretty passive aggressive. So they had, there were many instances in which like, she'd be complaining to me about him. He would be complaining to me about her and like, I think that's probably pretty normal if you have a situation where it, it's a couple, like for me, I was living with, you know, my boyfriend and my best friend, essentially. <laughs> so I don't know. And I was the one willing to like bring things up. So they would come to me and it was, it, it sucked because I was in the middle of their passive aggressive bullshit. But at one point I... <laughs> I think I was just sort of like, you guys are going to, I think at one point I told both of them, they weren't allowed to talk to me about the other one anymore. And they just had to talk to each other. And it, we eventually worked everything out and it was fine. It wasn't this bad, but, but if I'm pulling on a real life example, like seeing the two of them and how annoyed they got with each other about every little thing, because it was all just like stupid stuff. Like the big stuff wasn't really a problem in our living situation. Like we paid all of our bills on time. Um, we were all relatively clean, like that wasn't a problem. Um, and those are just like the two big roommate problems. Like if somebody's not paying the bills, that's a big, big problem. If somebody's not cleaning up after themselves, that's a really big problem. But we didn't really have that. I remember the two of them fighting about some kind of dish situation. <laughs> Both of them could immediately be like, yeah, I'll tell you exactly what that was, but I don't really remember what it was. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't ever have the dorm room experience like I've mentioned before. Um, really, that's the only time like I've I lived by myself up until when I moved in with um, my Michael and my friend Jill. Um, and then after that, that was it really. Um, 
although for a time I lived with my mom along with my Michael. Um, but yeah, I didn't really have, I mean, I just had family or boyfriend <laughs> situations for the most part, um, living situations. But I think that the way that this is portrayed, it's very cheesy, but I think it's also really well done overall. I think this episode's well done. Um, the way that they just sort of like focus in on the, either from the perspective of Kathy or Buffy on whatever it is that the, that annoys them about the other person. I think that's done really well. Like the whole toenail clipping scene was horrifying. The, um, when, when Kathy was rolling the, uh, the hard boiled egg that had her name on it really slowly across the desk. I mean, there, there were things that just were really horrifying. Like, um, the actress that played Kathy did a really great job of just, she had that sort of, she's really fucking cute. First of all, she's so cute. If they had decided to make her a cool roommate and added her to the group, like, she could have been, like, the kind of annoying mom-like peer, but she could have been a good addition to the group. Like, she looks like she's a good actress. She was just cute as fuck with her cute little haircut. And, you know, she just, she seemed like that slightly annoying mom-type friend that all of us have had, you know, like somebody that's just, like, a little too uptight, um, but is also quirky and, you know... She seemed relatable. She seemed realistic. I, you know, even though she was very annoying in this episode, like she was supposed to be, I see her as a realistic character. Um, let's see. Okay, let's get into my notes. She irons her jeans. <laughs> That's my first note. Oh, and she has that whole, like, and this seems very realistic to me, too, like, even though I haven't really had this exact type of situation in my life, like this whole, I've implemented a system. We log our, each one of our calls. So there's no confusion when the bill comes, you know? <laughs> and, um, that was cute. Uh, let's see. And I think it totally makes sense for Buffy to have, like, if this type of episode didn't exist in this season, I think that would be kind of a plot hole. Like, Buffy is an only child. She hasn't had to deal with sharing things with siblings or anyone else her age. She's never had to share a room with anyone. She's always had her own room. She's always had her own space, and she only had to coexist with her parents. So I think this is consistent for her character that she get annoyed with a roommate. It, I think if there wasn't some kind of plot, I mean, it didn't have to be that her roommate, her dorm roommate was a demon, but if we didn't have this little moment, I think that would be weird. So I think that's probably why they didn't move Willow and Buffy in together immediately because they wanted to have this plot line because it's consistent for Buffy's character. And the one thing that the show does consistently well is character development, at least for its most important characters, such as Buffy. So I'm glad that this episode exists and it wasn't like, if you're thinking to yourself, God, I fucking hate that episode and you haven't watched, rewatched it again in a while. It's really not that bad. It's, it's a perfectly enjoyable episode. It has its moments. It's not the best episode ever. You know, it's not on anybody's top 10 list, but it's not bad. 
Um, let's see. Girl in girl. Oh, um, at one point, uh, Willow, there's a lot heavy, heavy Willow and Buffy conversation time going on in this episode, more so than we've seen in a long time. Like Buffy and Willow, they're just the way that they've set up the beginning of her being in college is, you know, Buffy and Willow had a ton of conversations in the last episode and they had a ton of conversations in this episode. And that was something that I feel like was lacking in the last season of Buffy. Maybe we got a little bit more of that in season two, but we didn't get a whole lot of that in the last season. There was just too much Buffy Angel bullshit in the last season. And, you know, we had a lot of that in season two as well, but I feel like we... Just in general, the friendship between Willow and Buffy is an important part of the show that we don't see enough of in general. So soak it up while you can, because there's a ton of conversations between the two of them. And really, they're just repetitive conversations in this particular episode, because it's just all Buffy bitching about Kathy, just bitching, 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 which this is a character trait of Buffy's. Remember how she reacted when Faith was first introduced? It was like... It was like she was a sister. Suddenly she was a sister. Like, you know, Joyce should have put her up in her house, but she didn't. But in the very beginning, whenever she was trying to, like, figure out how to integrate Faith into her group, she was very, very jealous and very ranty. And Buffy is weird and territorial about other women that she sees as being basically like I've said before Buffy only accepts Willow that's the only girl she accepts in her sphere ever she gets to a point where she kind of accepts Tara and she gets and obviously she accepts her little sister Dawn when she is introduced this is not a spoiler free podcast (laughs) if you want a spoiler free Buffy recap podcast listen to Buffering the Vampire Slayer um But yeah, like female bonding is really not a touchstone of Buffy as a show, unfortunately, and not a touchstone of Buffy as a character. She really only, she seems like a guy's girl in most cases. Like, so getting these little moments of her hanging out with Willow is always good. Getting um, the fact that she is reacting the way that she's reacting to Kathy, like demon aside, even if Kathy wasn't a demon, this is probably how she would react to Kathy. Because up until like, you know, the midway point of the episode, like Buffy's reaction to Kathy is probably completely natural before Kathy starts stealing her soul in her sleep. Um, Kathy shows up for a decaf latte. Buffy has to save her from a demon. And when she stands back up again, I love this, Kathy. Kathy says, what the blizzard was that all about? She's definitely one of those kids that, like, wouldn't cuss, you know? She's probably, like, a Bible kid or something, basically, except she's a demon. Um, The next day, Buffy goes over to Giles' house. She just wants to kind of hang out with him and avoid Kathy until she goes to class. Um, and she's going through Giles' mail and he comes back from a run and she's like, you run? And Giles says something like, and occasionally frolic. (laughs) Yes, I run and occasionally frolic. (laughs) That was funny. Um, 
And then she just sort of hangs out on his terrace and like, what you doing? <laughs> so that was just a cute little moment of Buffy trying to, again, mirroring the last episode, like she's trying to reach out to Giles. I mean, in this case, it's just because she's trying to waste some time before um, she feels like she can go back to her room. But, um, and just trying to hang out with Giles. But that, I don't, I don't know what I was going to say about that. <laughs> like, she's trying to reach out to him, but he's not really, he's like, look, I got my own life, okay? Um, so he's still kind of in that mode. I think this is, these first few episodes of season four, I think, is trying to sort of establish, we're supposed to start seeing Giles in a new light. You know, he's not going to wear tweed suits anymore, unfortunately. He's not going to wear twe tweed suits anymore. He's um, being established as, you know, more of a sexy dad figure. And not like Buffy thinks of him as sexy. Like, they're definitely never going to cross that line. Thank God. Thank God. There's no fucking funny business between the two of them ever. Thank God. <laughs> but, um, you know... It allows us as the viewers to find him sexy because who doesn't? Giles is sexy and he was when he was in the tweed suits, but they're trying to really establish him as a cool older guy now of like, he runs and he frolics and, <laughs> and he has sex with beautiful women. Um, so they're still trying to like sort of they're feeling him out at this point because, you know, what is Giles without the library? Like, we still don't really know. Um, mm -mm. Kathy measures her pencils. Um, my mom said, wow, that's a big fuck off closet. I mean, this is like the dorm room that no one had. You know, it's like very spacious. Each of them have like a built-in desk on their side of the room. Um, they have windows that they, they can open. Um, they each have like a roomy ass closet that they can store things in besides clothes. Um, in addition to clothes, I mean. Um, oh, Buffy meets Parker in this episode. I mean, it sucks that Par Parker turned out to be awful because he is fucking cute. He's got those eyebrows. He seems like a sweet guy at first, but you know, he's just meh, Parker. Parker, but she meets him in this episode. Um, and then she, Buffy sits down, she meets him in the cafeteria and she sits down with Xander in the cafeteria. Why? I don't know. Willow and Oz, she sits down with them, um, for lunch or breakfast or whatever it is. And they've all just witnessed her kind of chatting up this guy and they're all like, Ooh, and, um, Xander says something like, well, yeah, he's been hit by the buffinator. <laughs> and Oz was supportive. Like, like, oh yeah, he'll be back. You know, he's just, it's nice to see. This is like maybe the only episode we ever, it's gotta be because Oz is about to leave. He's only got a few more episodes left. Um, let's see, let's go, let's, let's jump ahead and see the answer to that question. Yep, um, I'm pretty sure Wild at Heart is the episode where Oz leaves the show, which we're going to watch in a little less than a month. That is going to be on November 9th. So we only have one, two, 
three, four episodes with Oz in the main cast. So yeah, this has never really happened before and will never happen again. We get some quality Oz and Buffy time in this particular episode, and that's pretty cool. Um, they should let Marty write more episodes, don't you think? <laughs> um, Kathy steals Buffy's blue cardigan with flowers on it. It's really cute. It's it's pretty much the Buffy blue color that I just call Buffy blue, which is sort of like a stormy... This one isn't quite so stormy. It's more just like baby blue, but it's still nice. Um, and then she gets ketchup on it. My next note is since when does Buffy chew gum? Like she chews gum throughout this episode because one of the plot points of like the thing that Kathy gets annoyed by is that Buffy leaves her gum everywhere, which is pretty damn gross, Buffy. Get that shit taken care of. Do not leave your gum on the nightstand. Like really? <laughs> Um, Kathy labels all the food. Um, there's this big, like, annoyance between Kathy wants the window shut and Buffy wants it open. But they have a big room and there's a window right behind Buffy's bed and that's the one that Kathy's constantly shutting. Like, you know what? That is not okay. You know, if you're sharing a dorm room with someone, you're just going to have to deal with it if your roommate wants the window right next to their own bed open, you know? Um, then in the morning, okay, so Buffy has her first like nightmare that includes like someone pouring blood down her throat and like some other stuff. It's just like very quick images that like, um, don't really register with me, but so I know it had something to do with pouring blood down her throat. And so she tells everybody about the dream in like a lounge area that's in her dorm. I don't know where this particular place is. Um, and Oz and Willow and Giles is there. Giles just fucking shows up to hang out. And um, Willow introduces him to Kathy by saying, he's our grown up friend, but not in a creepy way. Um, Kathy just, like, talks about having the same dream. It's kind of confusing that, like, you know, Buffy keeps having these dreams. We find out that Kathy is stealing her soul, and the dreams that she's having are actually things that are really happening, but she'll wake up from the dream, and Kathy is asleep in the next bed, you know? So, like, is she somehow enacting what's happening in this dream through her sleep. She is sleep succubus, so if she's sleeping in the same room as someone else that's sleeping, she starts to steal her soul. I don't really understand the logistics of it, and they don't really go over it well, but, you know, that kind of stuff is always secondary in Buffy episodes anyway, so let's just move on from that. I don't really understand how that works. Um, bunch of just passive-aggressive bullshit between the two of them throughout the episode. Um... My notes are very simple this time. Parker hanging with Kathy, Kathy, drinking all the milk, Oz being supportive. Uh, um, so Willow and Oz are talking at one point and Willow's just like, man, I have to study for this test. I would really like to be there for Buffy right now. And that's when Oz is like, well, I'll go hang out with Buffy. You know, she needs to rant. I can kind of keep an eye on her in case she's, because they're all kind of worried that she's like, going nuts and she's going to cross over into the red zone as they call it um 
and they're just being there for her. They're making sure they're around. And well, and Oz is like, yeah, sure, I'll hang out with her. And so then you get a scene of Oz coming along with Buffy while she's patrolling. And she's just ranting, ranting, ranting about Kathy. And Oz is just being supportive and calm and cool and hanging out with her. And it's just a really sweet moment. And it's too bad we didn't get more of that, you know? Um, but I guess they're just trying to use as much Oz as they can these last few episodes. Like, we've never had this much Oz we've had in the last couple episodes. Um, he's usually just kind of a side character that's hanging around every once in a while. So it's good to soak up these last moments of Oz while we can. Which um, brings us to Veruca, the first sighting. So Veruca is the one that Oz is going to cheat on Willow with, and she is also a fellow werewolf, and they see each other. They, like, walk by each other. I think during this scene, I think he's with Buffy at the time, and um, they just kind of, like, walk past each other, and both he and Veruca sort of turn around and look at each other like they recognize each other, you know, because they recognize that wolf inside of each other. Um, so that's the beginning of that. Um, I like that particular, I mean, we'll get to it. I think that whole plot of Oz being distracted by a fellow werewolf and, you know, I don't think it's justified that he cheats on Willow at all, but the circumstances in which it happens, I think are very understandable. Um, the fact, well, the way that he handles it is not the best, but we'll get there. <laughs> Obviously we're not talking about that today. We'll get there. I do like Veruca in general as a character. I mean, I think she's a little one note for sure. Again, we'll talk about that. <laughs> like, why are we talking about that right now? I do like Veruca. Um, and I love, okay, the band that Veruca is the lead singer for, she's not the real lead singer of this actual band, but um, they're called THC. And they're like a trip hop, like pretty indie. Like when I first saw this season of Buffy, it wasn't until season six had come out since I didn't see season four or five or six until six was already airing. Um, I loved that music so much and I had to find it and it took me, like, it was hard to find. Like I had to like track down the actual band and like order it directly order like a CD directly from them. And, um, it was like a burned copy <laughs> when I got it. Um, I think it's on like, streaming sites and stuff now but anyway they're pretty cool and this does relate to this episode because um this episode of the podcast anyway because a thc song is in the episode of angel like playing at that bar that they hang it out in throughout most of the episode um at one point oz says nobody deserves a mime buffy she like freaks out and like breaks a bench and um Oz just says well on the plus side you killed that bench and it was looking shifty <laughs> uh Buffy has more dreams about Kathy my next note is Safari Buffy her clothing choices right now are 
pretty bad. Like, I don't get it. Like, she's wearing, like, a short-sleeved brown shirt with, like, a khaki-colored shirt, like, a long-sleeved shirt over it that's, like, sort of tied at the bottom. And then it's, like, an army green um, floor-length skirt. Like... (laughs) It's the weirdest outfit. Um, um, Buffy announces to Willow at this point, after she's had like at least two two nights of these dreams, she says, Kathy's evil. I figured it out. Kathy's evil. I'm an evil fighter. Kathy has to die. <laughs> she's cut her, she is, um, after Kathy cut her toenails and left them all on the floor. That's the most horrifying thing of all of these to me. Buffy collected them and put them in a bag and um, measured them. And she, like, brings it to Willow's attention. And then she's like, yeah, you should totally show Giles that. Because she measured them and then measured them again in the morning and said that they grew. Um, At this point, so she goes to Giles to bring the toenails and she's just kind of lost it. Xander, Giles, and Oz are there waiting for her when she gets there and they tie her up. My next note is when will they trust her? Because that, when I was watching this with my mom last night, that's, that's like, when will they trust her? (laughs) So, um, Buffy knocks Oz and Xander's heads together and gets out of the, um, ropes. It was pointed out in my, um, Buffy episode guide that, um, Oz and Xander are like opposite. Like once she hits their heads together and then they show them on the floor, they're in the opposite configuration that they were. Like one of them was on the left, the other one was on the right when they were standing. And then it was opposite when they were on the ground. So I didn't actually notice that, but, um, get out of my way, Xander. This is when we find out that Kathy is a demon. Um, cause she, once she gets out, of being tied up. She goes back to her dorm room. Kathy's there. And just like immediately she rips off Kathy's face somehow accidentally. I don't understand how that happened. Um, but you know, the fighting is not great in Buffy. Like the choreography is not great. The like music that they always put in the background is super annoying. Like, that sucks that, like, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you don't actually enjoy watching the fight scenes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That would be a thing that if they decide to, like, reboot Buffy in some way, it could potentially be better than the original. It could. You know, if they if they cast the right people, if they cast, like, a more diverse cast, if they tell a story that's not completely the same if they have great fight choreography, if they use music, if they use score effectively, which they do in most shows these days, like score is not distractingly bad most of the time in most pop culture these days. If they could get that right and have us like, I don't know, (laughs) this could be better. It's not great. Anyway, she rips her face off. So she knows she's a demon. Um, they're fighting, um, at the same time, Giles and Willow are doing a spell because he's figured out what's going on. He came back, um, Oz and Xander have woken up from being knocked out. So they're going to go to Buffy 
as backup. Um, because Giles is like, no, no, she really is a demon. <laughs> I, ch I checked the toenails and, and it's true. Um, and we need to do this spell. And I wrote down some of the wording in the spell because they didn't use any stupid Latin in the spell, which is nice. And I really just liked the way that it, the wording of it, it just seemed interesting. So shout out to Marty Noxon for writing this spell. It starts out with something like, I call to the elders of the dry land, the elders of the river flats, the elders of the upper reaches and the lower reaches. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was cool. He's calling to all the elders for this spell. So you know it's going to be effective. Um, oh, I wrote down, stop treating me like I'm 900. So Kathy somehow during the fight, like Kathy's trying to steal the rest of Buffy's soul and she's not doing it through a dream this time. She's going to take the rest of it in person. Um, because the whole explanation is kind of weird. Like somebody is after her and she, like she's a demon, so she doesn't have a soul and they're after her. So if they get to her where she lives, they will take the one that doesn't have the soul. They will mistake Buffy for her if she doesn't have a soul, I guess is the logic why she's taking her soul. Um, and then Kathy's dad shows up and she's like, you went off to college and you ruined everything or something. And she's like, I'm 3000 years old, dad, stop treating me like I'm 900. <laughs> so she doesn't really die. Like Buffy doesn't defeat her. It's just sort of like Kathy's dad shows up and a vortex opens up in the floor and he just sort of takes her back to whatever dimension where she came from. And at that point, Oz and Xander have shown up and they're just sort of like huddling in the corner together. Like Xander is kind of like clutching on to Oz, um, which is just a cute, cute little shot, honestly, to see them just like sort of like cuddling together in the corner, protecting each other. Like Oz is basically protecting Xander the way that he would, you know, anybody else. He's just that kind of guy. Um, and then the episode ends with Willow's moving in. Um, I didn't like this little, this particular thing just always bothers me when they make these kind of comments in pop culture, because I am a person that burns incense pretty much constantly, like all the time. Like I burn probably at minimum one or two sticks a day, sometimes more. Like I'm burning incense constantly in my life. And one of the like throwaway lines at the end of this episode is, you know, Buffy, Willow's moving in with Buffy. And she's just sort of like, you know, it's not like I have, it's nice to know that like, I wasn't actually going crazy that Kathy was really a demon. Cause I think of myself as a tolerant person and you know, I'm not terrible to live with, you know, I don't do anything awful, like burn incense or whatever. And I'm like, okay, come on. <laughs> I mean, obviously I, if I had a roommate, I would want to, I would not want to burn incense if, if, when that person was around, if they didn't like it, but that's not an egregious offense, burning incense, and it smells good. I love it. Oh, I forgot to mention throughout this episode. So there's so many instances of, you know, Buffy bitching to everyone just individually about Kathy and several times during the episode, you know, Buffy's bitching to Willow about how awful Kathy is and, and, you know, at the time, Willow will be in the middle of like a raging party at her own dorm. 
<laughs> and she'll be like, yeah, new roommates are tough. <laughs> when it's just like obvious that what Buffy's going through, besides the demon part and her soul getting sucked out, what she's going through with Kathy as a roommate is pales in comparison to what Willow is going through. So that's just a funny little aside that like, Willow just, you know, listens to Buffy and puts up with all of her shit, even though what Willow is going through, I mean, this is just kind of a metaphor that makes sense in general. Like what Willow goes through is sometimes heavier than what Buffy goes through, but she handles emotional shit. Well, that's not true. Willow doesn't handle emotional shit that well either. Never mind. I take it back. Okay, so I guess it's time to rate the episode. I didn't write any of that shit down yet. Quote of the episode, we're going to give it to Kathy. This is the only time she gets to have it. We're going to say, when she says, what the blizzard is, was that all about? We're going to give it to her. <laughs> that was funny. What the blizzard? Okay, I'm writing it down. Object of the episode, shit. Oh, Minty Mugwatch. Okay, that's going to be a new segment, Minty Mugwatch, because I want to know if we ever see it again. I don't think we will. At some point, I know we get to see a Kiss the Librarian mug, which is also a mug I would like to acquire in my own life. <laughs> but no Minty Mug at Giles' apartment. I've been trying to pay attention, like even like looking in the background. Like maybe we'll see it like in the background in the kitchen and in, in like the dish drying rack at some point. I don't know. But we haven't seen it yet. Excuse me. Um, so what is the object of this episode? I always like to pick an object that, that I would like to plug directly out of the episode and keep for myself. Um, I can't think of anything. I did like Buffy's cardigan that Kathy ruins, but I really wouldn't wear it if I owned it because I'm not a baby blue person. Um, God, I hated her safari outfit. So I'm also trying to think of outfits at the same time that I'm thinking of objects. I don't remember Willow having any really cool outfits in this episode at all. Like, again, I feel like, I feel like we're just going to have to start giving zeros in some of these categories because there's not a single outfit in this episode that even stood out to me enough that I remember it. I didn't write any of them down. So I got nothing as far as outfit of the episode. So it's, it's getting a zero object. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to pause and actually think about it for a second. Let's just say, okay. I love Giles's entire house. I love it so much. It is just, it's just quaint and beautiful. And I just love it. I love it. So Let's say his terrace, because we get to see that in this episode. Let's say um, Giles's terrace is the object of the episode. <laughs> it's a little bit of a stretch, but okay. Terrace? Okay. MVP of this episode. Well, shit. Let's give it to Willow. You know, she was long suffering in this episode. She just put up with all of Buffy's rants and she just wants to be supportive best friend while she's going through a hellacious roommate of her own and dealing with it much more gracefully than Buffy is. Um, so let's just give it to Willow. This, this wasn't a very high stakes episode, honestly. I mean, it just really wasn't. So 
Okay, five by five. Treatment of women in this episode. We did get a lot. I mean, it was mostly focused on women because it was just all Kathy, Buffy, Willow, um, Oz and Xander and Giles were involved, but not quite as important to the plot. Um, and it was just a very, it was kept pretty small as far as like characters that we actually saw and interacted with. It was Giles, Oz, Xander, Buffy, Willow, Kathy. We had a little moment of Parker. And that was basically it. Like no one else was really in this episode. There was no Riley. Um, it was just, it was a pretty straightforward episode, honestly. Um, so I don't think there was any, like the treatment of women was, they were paid attention to a little bit more in this episode than the men, but they weren't treated as better than or less than. So I'm going to give it a five. Like, you know, the shit about Kathy was not gendered. The bullshit about how annoying Kathy was was not gendered. Unless, like, just the mere presence of passive-aggressive roommate shit between Buffy and Kathy is, is gendered. I don't think it was interp it is interpreted that way in this particular instance. It was just shitty roommate situation, you know? So I'm going to give it a five for, you know, treatment of women in this episode. It was fine. The treatment of women was fine. I mean, yeah, Kathy was a demon, but it wasn't because she was a woman, I don't think. Um, as far as overall enjoyability of the episode, honestly, it was fine. I mean, obviously Kathy's annoying, but we're supposed to think Kathy's annoying. It was a little cheesy. Um, it's not an episode that, like I said, you're going to think about that much. So I'm going to give it a three because it was fine. It was totally fine. Serviceable episode of Buffy, which means five by three is 15. So my overall score for the episode is 15. Let's go ahead and I'm going to pause for a second. I'll be right back to talk about Angel. Okay, let's check the Nikki Stafford guide as to her short and sweet description of this particular episode of Angel, which is called Lonely Hearts. Written by David Fury, directed by James Contner. So they're two people that were... It, it's interesting because, like, the writers of Buffy basically fragmented starting in season four. You know, like, half the writers went to Angel. I think they were, like, a bunch of the writers were doing both. But it's interesting to see, like, who, like, ends up writing for it's kind of clear in these first couple episodes of Buffy they were paying a little bit more attention to Angel it doesn't mean that like the episodes of Angel are better than the episodes of Buffy but they were definitely concentrating on Angel more Angel by far got the better music choices at least in these first two episodes because there's a long list of really great songs in this particular episode and, and that was the case with the last episode of Angel as well. Um, not quite as long of a list of um, songs but there's just like all kinds of great songs in this particular episode of Angel. Um, so much so that I think I'm gonna start, I may not make it available for other people to listen to quite yet, as I think I'm just gonna do it as I go. 
Um, because luckily Nikki Stafford lists all the music that is in every episode of Buffy and Angel and both of her guides that I have. Um, I have already a playlist of Buffy songs. I actually have two. I have one that's every single song from Buffy that I could find on Spotify in order of appearance from the show. So that's a really long playlist. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I also have one that's like the best of. Like, so I just took my personal best of. I just took all the songs from Buffy also in order of appearance, but I kept in only the ones that I actually want to hear. And I listen to that playlist all the time. It's actually a really good, like, party playlist, you know, if you're having people over to play board games or something. Like, it's just a pretty solid, like, kind of like trip hoppy background music type playlist. I love it a lot. And I had not remembered there being good music in Angel as a whole, but at least in these first few episodes, they're concentrating on really bringing you some some hip, classy trip hop in these first few episodes. So um, I am going to start like an Angel playlist on Spotify as well. I'm not going to do like a complete order of appearance one, but I'm just going to do one like for myself and I'll eventually make it public and share the link with you guys. But I think I'm just going to go episode episode by episode right now and not worry about just like doing it all at once. Um, because these first two episodes, I'm like, yeah, what is that song? Yeah, what is that song? Um, so, okay, here is the episode description according to Nikki Stafford. Angel has to find a demon that is preying on lonely people at bars and eviscerating them. Okay. So this particular episode, this was a lot more difficult, this episode of Angel, to get through than the Kathy episode. Like the Kathy episode was kind of cheesy and annoying, but this episode of Angel was just, it felt really directionless. Like they still don't know what they're doing with Angel as a show. So they introduce Kate in this episode, um, and she'll be a character for at least this first season. I don't know. I feel like she's in it beyond the first season, but I don't remember her being super important throughout the series. It's almost like they were trying to set it up in the beginning as being sort of like a noir detective series and like Angel's gonna be the, the, you know, he's gonna be like the weirdo on the fringes that helps the detective solve crimes, you know, except this one's more from his perspective than hers. But it isn't revealed till the very end of the episode that Kate is a police officer. You know, she's introduced in the beginning as just being this this lonely, self-deprecating chick. What did she call herself at one point when her and Angel are talking? Well, a slut's better than a hypocrite. I'm a self-flagellating hypocrite slut. <laughs> I love that. Um, I like, okay, first of all, the chick that plays Kate she is so beautiful. Like I just stare into her eyes and I get lost in her eyes. But as an actor, I don't find her that compelling. And she doesn't end up being a very important character. She's kind of important for a while, but it's like they, it's almost like whoever cast her just got lost in her eyes as well and forgot to like pay attention to whether or not she was a good actress. So I think the casting of her was not a great choice. I've decided to keep a tally because I noticed in the first episode of Angel, you know, the person that he 
failed to save in that episode was a tiny cute blonde girl. In this episode, we meet Kate, who is also a tiny cute blonde girl, but she also can take care of herself, so that's good. Um, but I've decided to keep a list of people that Angel, either people that Angel does save, fails to save, or thinks he needs to save. So, <laughs> I'm keeping a list of small blonde girls Angel saves, needs to save, or tries to save. How about just small blonde girls that Angel tries to save, whether or not he fails or whether or not they need saving. Okay, there you go. He tries to save. So, Kate is a small blonde girl. We also find another small blonde girl that he fails to save in this episode because she ends up getting inhabited by the parasitic demon. The plot of this episode is really kind of weak. It's just basically at the very beginning, Doyle has a vision of a nightclub and they decide they recognize the nightclub and you know, that's it. He just has a vision of a nightclub. So he knows that like the powers that be or whatever only send him visions of something that is going to happen that is bad, whatever. So they know that something bad is going to happen in this nightclub, but they don't know what, they don't know who is in danger. So, but they automatically, here's the, the weird sexist thing that I didn't even necessarily realize until this exact moment. They, so Angel, they just decide they're going to hang out in this nightclub throughout the entire episode and just like be aware, you know, see if there's anybody that needs to be saved. And Angel focuses all of his attention on talking to pretty women to see if they need to be saved. <laughs> and it's just very weird and clunky. And part of it is endearing that it's weird and clunky because he's weird and clunky. I definitely do not want Angel to be good at flirting with people. Um, I, I realized it this week when I was thinking about Angel as a character. And even though he is, he's celibate, not by choice, I do kind of think of him simply because you take what you can get with asexual representation, but I've decided to think of him as asexual representation because you don't get much of that. <laughs> he basically, like he doesn't really, he's not really interested in pursuing relationships with people. And again, it's motivated because he doesn't have a soul, or he does have a soul, but he will lose it if he has meaningful relationship with someone, if he has a moment of true happiness, blah, blah, blah. Um, again, it's not motivated by him actually being asexual, but he's not really interested in like pursuing a relationship with someone. He, I don't like Angel when he's in any kind of relationship with someone. I like him solitary. I like him sitting in the dark reading a book. Like, as a character, I do find him interesting when he is this asexual brooding creature. As long as he's not in a relationship with Buffy while doing so. <laughs> um, don't like him in that context at all. But I decided earlier this week, I just, okay, I'm going to start thinking of him in that context. Like, how do I view him as a character when I'm viewing him as an asexual character? Is he a good representation of that? I don't know. This is, I just thought of this. I'm going to start viewing him through that lens from now on. If you guys have any thoughts about that, 
let me know. Mixtressradio at gmail is where you can email me those thoughts. I would love to hear your input, as always. Okay, lots of good music in this episode. The Vision. I wrote down Vision Time, Moulin Rouge. It really, like, Doyle's vision was that sort of, like, quick cut, super loud, crazy sounds. It just reminded me of that first scene of Moulin Rouge, you know, when everything's like crazy and there's like four songs going at once and like, ah, that's the part of Moulin Rouge that my grandma, she went to see the movie like in person, like she never goes to movies anymore. (laughs) This is one of the last ones I remember her ever going to. And, and I wasn't there with her. It was just her and, and my grandpa. But she said in that first scene, she just hated it. And she got up and left. (laughs) She just like drags my grandpa out of the theater after paying for the tickets. And my grandma's not really the type of person that would ask for her money back. So I'm pretty sure they just bought the tickets, went to the first 10 minutes, and my grandma like storms out in a huff because that first scene of Moulin Rouge was just too goddamn chaotic. (laughs) And at the time I was just like, oh, grandma. And now I'm like, yeah, totally get it. That was overstimulating as fuck. Like... If I were in my, she probably was in her, what, this was like almost 20 years ago at this point. So she was in her 60s or something. I probably would have walked out too in my 60s the first 10 minutes of Moulin Rouge. Ah, That movie doesn't really hold up that well. R.A.P. Moulin Rouge. Okay. Um, I was writing about... So... yeah, like I said earlier, THC, um, this, a song from THC plays in um, the nightclub at Angel. And we will hear, I don't think the same song in Buffy in a few episodes when Baruka becomes a bigger plot point. But we're going to hear like three or four different THC songs in Buffy. So love that band. Again, I'm pretty sure you can find it on Spotify now. You just look up. The album is called Adagio, and it's just, the band is called THC. And I highly recommend it. I love that album, and I tracked it down um, back in, it was probably 2001, 2002 is when I tracked it down. Um, Like I said earlier. Okay, I already told that story. Kate, Angel, okay, Angel's pickup line. Are you maybe in need of some rescuing? <laughs> oh, okay, so there's... Okay, they're kind of, like, building up this whole... Doyle definitely has a crush on Cordelia. Um, Cordelia's oblivious to it. She's kind of, like, they hang out a lot, sort of. You know, they are Angel's support team, essentially. And um, there's a nice moment where... So, Cordelia and Doyle are at the bar. I mean, Angel's there, too, but he's off doing his asking women if they need to be saved bit. And... (laughs) Um, there's this point when like a guy at Cordelia's passing out business cards to everybody. Like, do you need help? <laughs> Here's a business card. You know, just like being her Cordelia self, just like walking up to everybody, whatever. I need Cordelia to ha- hand out my tarot business cards. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, okay. Uh, cause I just am too fucking weird to hand out my own business cards. <laughs> I mean, they're there in my purse. If anyone ever just happens to ask me about tarot cards, I might hand out one to them. But anyway, so she's just like talking to every single person handing out the business card. So 
a creepy like frat boy type comes up to her at one point and he just starts saying sleazy shit to her and do i have anything written down about that i guess all i have written down is cordelia can handle herself um it's at some point Doyle kind of you know he tries to like get involved and like handle the situation for Cordelia and he's just kind of like hey she's with me and Cordelia's like no I'm not and then she rejects the guy like she so it's obviously it's obvious that her motivation for saying no I'm not with you is not so that she could flirt back with the guy she didn't want to flirt back with the guy but she also wanted Doyle to know she can fucking handle herself so I like that they're giving you that little moment because if I don't know how many people actually just like started watching Angel but didn't already know about Buffy but if there was anyone that did start watching Angel without knowing anything about Buffy and they didn't already know that like women that are main characters in Joss Whedon shows can handle themselves. If they're side characters, they might be just as damselly as everyone else on TV. But if they're ones that you're supposed to respect and care about, which we're supposed to respect and care about Cordelia on this show, fucking finally, right? She didn't actually get, she's going to get her due a little bit better, at least in the beginning of Angel. Her character arc, I'm going to have a lot to say about it over the years that we talk about Angel, but um, I really like this little moment of like, continually in this conversation, she stands up for herself and kind of pushes Doyle aside, like, stop trying to like, you know, protect me, you know, and that, that sort of bar situation that all women are used to, you know, when you start getting hit on by a guy. And the easiest way out of it is to just say you're married, say you're taken, say your boyfriend's in the bathroom or something like, because that's the thing that makes guys leave you alone. Unfortunately, that's the way our fucking society still works. Like saying, just saying, I'm not interested. They don't fucking give a shit if you're interested or not. They care more about the you know, unseen boyfriend that you've mentioned than they do about your feelings, the person standing right in front of them. It always shuts them down a million times faster if you explain your allegiance to another man, whether it's a lie or not. You know, I've even done the whole, like, I have a girlfriend thing instead because I just didn't want to say that it was a boy. And they'd be like, oh yeah, really? Bring her along. You know, so that totally backfires. Like, anyway. So I love that Cordelia stands up for herself. I love Cordelia. Okay. Um, There's an unnecessary bar fight. I don't even know why that's in there. Although Angel sort of makes a comment later. I have a hard time thinking that you got a vision so that I could stop a bar fight. (laughs) Like, I don't think that was it. So they keep going back. Um, There's this whole weird like the conversations in this episode between men and women are all just like I'm so lonely can you believe we had to come to a place like this in order to meet people and blah 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 and it's just I don't know if we're supposed to think that this is interesting this whole lonely hearts conversation I can't believe we have to resort to going to a bar to meet each other bullshit I don't know if we're supposed to think it's deep or interesting because I definitely don't think so. 
I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, so we're introduced to Sharon, tiny blonde girl that might need to be saved, and Kevin. They leave the bar together. They have some kind of terrible sex. Like, I don't, they don't even really, like, they don't show it at all. They just show, like, afterwards, both of them looking super dejected and disappointed. Like, how terrible was that? Um, and then the guy is just like, I want a spoon with you. And later we see the girl, like, wearing red lipstick and she's just, like, radiating life. She's got a smoky eye. So obviously she's evil now because before she was kind of mousy and um, the guy is dead in the bed. So you're like, oh, I thought the guy was the predator, but maybe it was her. Um, but we don't know what the deal is yet. I wrote that Angel said, I always appreciate your perspective. I think he was talking to Cordelia. At one point he says, I always appreciate your perspective. So he might've been being slightly sarcastic, but I still wrote it down for some reason. <laughs> I think it just made me happy. Um, oh God, this fucking pissed me off. So there's this weird little plot moment. I don't even know why it's here where Cordelia is shown as not knowing how to type. So this almost cancels out the moment that I was just talking about of her standing up for herself in the bar and not needing Doyle's help. This almost cancels that out for me because she is shown as like being a, a peck typer. And out of the three of these guys, Doyle, who's half demon, Angel, who's also technically half demon, I guess, because he's a vampire, and they're vampire, vampires are demon-human hybrids, so he's going to have demon too. And he is never, until the last episode, when we suddenly see that Angel knows how to use not one, not two, but three computers at once at the LA Public Library in the middle of the night, somehow he got in whatever, like, this is just as unbelievable as that. Because Cordelia just got out of high school. She's been in typing class. Like, yeah, we saw her being a peck typer back in her sophomore year of high school. But by now, it has been established on Buffy that Cordelia got super high scores on her SATs. She is very smart, like, academically. She gets good grades and all of that stuff. It has been established that she's a very smart person and she, I'm sorry, but I grew up at that same time too. In the late nineties, we fucking knew how to type. We had typing classes. We used computers to turn in papers and things. Cordelia would know how to fucking type. And that pisses me off that it is shown that Angel knows how to, knows his way around a computer and Doyle knows his way around a computer, but Cordelia does not. And I just sort of like push her aside because she was typing in something super slow. That pisses me off like a lot. So whatever. I don't think they ever like have that plot point again, but I don't know. What is even the point of that, of showing that she can't type? That makes no sense. It's just like a way to demean her or something. I don't understand. Um, <laughs> Angel like bark some orders at the two of them like like having them look up books that reference certain demons and they're sending them to the LA Public Library. Why would the LA Public Library have like a demonology section, you know? I mean, I guess it would, but are they just using the like demonology type books that I mean, I think they take for granted that like 
I am a librarian, so I know some of these things. There's a difference between an academic library and a public library. Like, there have been a lot of books that I have requested that we get for our library in the past that our collection development librarian has said no because it's whatever it was that I was requesting is a little too academic and it wouldn't check out that well since we're a public library and like our collection is you know meant to serve the general public you know like so demonology type reference encyclopedias and things the type of shit that Angel would be looking for would not be in the LA public library but that's just me nitpicking because I'm a librarian um, he meets up, there's this just weird interactions between Kate and Angel because Kate definitely like is interested in Angel and just this whole weird plot point where they're having her be like this self-deprecating person that's trying to meet people at the bar, but she's also later we're supposed to believe she's the tough as nails detective, but we've seen from the very beginning, we just saw this strange, insecure, shy damselly presenting person so I don't I mean I think this is probably more attributed to them just not having a fleshed out character for her than her as an actor like maybe she's not actually a bad actor they just didn't give her fucking anything to work with like she's like what kind of person am I am I a damsel am I a hard as nails detective they just don't give her a very good introduction in this episode this episode is just not very good but at one point she says to Angel, I can go wherever the hell I want and you can go to hell. And so that just sort of sets Angel up for like, yeah, been there, done that. <laughs> like, okay, Angel. Yeah. I wrote down gang of geek toyed minions because there's like this nerdy kid that's talking to basically the whole big bad in this episode. If you care, I kind of don't is this like parasite that moves from person to person through sexual contact but then later it doesn't have to be sexual i don't know it's very inconsistent and it's just sort of like this thing that like somebody will be the big spoon after some terrible obviously by the looks on people's faces sexual encounter and then the parasite will chest burst from the big spoon into the back of the little spoon and then that person will and it's kind of like a nightly thing I guess like it can only be in the body of one person for like 24 hours before it has to move on to someone else and at one point it's established that this where did I write it down it's a burrower demon cute cute joke where Angel says it's a burrower demon and um <laughs> and Cordelia's like it's a donkey <laughs> <laughs> I loved that. That was a sweet little moment. Anyway, so it's a burrower demon. Oh, they, um, Cordelia, they do research and she kind of explains it, that he's a dawn of time kind of guy. This demon, dawn of time kind of guy. So if this demon has existed since the dawn of time, it's been needing to kill someone every single night since the dawn of time. And this is the plot point when Angel figures out how to kill it. Like, does he even kill? I don't even remember, like, the final battle with this particular creature. Like, obviously he kills it, right? I don't know. Let's get through my notes here. 
Um, there's this, I think this is going to be the quote of the episode. Cordelia's like going through demon books with Doyle at some point while they're still researching. So I'm backing up a little bit here. And she's like, well, look at this guy. And she shows like this drawing to Doyle. This guy's got a wreath of intestines around his head. What kind of statement is he trying to make? <laughs> oh, I just love that. Those little moments make it worth it. Just those funny little moments that make you laugh. Looking up Sharon in the phone book, bad sex, Angel is running. <laughs> I don't know what that was doing anything, but okay. Parasite, looking for the right body to stay with. So it basically, it's trying to find a body that's not going to reject it. Since the dawn of time, apparently. I don't know. Parasite guy, Kate is a cop, carving job of an impotent psycho. Uh, angels can fly. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that. <laughs> Angel must have done something that made me write that. Angels can fly. I don't know. Cordy, Cordy is a slob, so we find out, like, we go to her apartment at one point. It's, like, research base. And it she's got, like, cereal bowls on the floor. Her clothes are everywhere. It's awful. Um, that does get better. She's, but I think that's an an interesting plot point that like, of course, like she even says at one point, it was supposed to go from home to hotel to hotel to husband. You know, I wasn't supposed to have to clean up after myself. And that tracks with Cordelia. Like she, she's been rich and privileged throughout the most of the time we've known her. It's just been in the last, the last like few episodes of Buffy that it was established that her dad got found out for tax evasion and everything was taken away. Her house, all the money, like it's possible her dad's in jail. I don't know if they mentioned that or not, but it's implied that she doesn't have help from anyone. She is completely on her own now. And that is what is building her as a character. So it tracks for me that her apartment would be a total mess because she's used to having maids. So she hasn't learned how to clean up after herself yet. So I kind of like that she's just a complete slob right now and they don't really ever I think have they don't ever really mention how she pulls that shit together but eventually she has an neat tidy nice apartment um we'll get to that um some of the character development for Cordelia especially in the first half of the Angel series is really kind of cool and it's nice to see so that is one of the only reasons why I'm doing this angel recap. Um, okay. Cordy has to invite him in. So they make a whole like scene of like angel can't come into Cordy's apartment in the beginning. And you know, it's more, it's more establishing the rules of like having to invite a vampire in for any new viewers probably at this point. Um, and they also establish, this was pointed out in the Nikki Stafford episode guide for angel that it I didn't remember this but I guess this hasn't necessarily been established in Buffy I feel like it has been established in Buffy that you know the way that the whole like vampires basically you can invite them in once and then they can come to your dwelling again whenever they want unless you like do some fancy spell to resend the invitation um which, why couldn't they just, if all it takes is them v verbally inviting you in to cast the spell to let them in, why can't you just say, I rescind 
Why do you have to do a special spell just to take it back? I don't know. But anyway, the whole thing is established in this moment that as long as the owner of a place is alive, they can invite you in. If they're not alive, and this is a plot point they go back to over and over in the series of Angel, like he can go into, like if somebody has just been killed, he can go into their apartment immediately because they're dead. He doesn't need an invitation. Um, so that's interesting. That's nice that they give you this little moment of like, just really quick. It, it wasn't too obvious, you know, I mean, they had to deal with this at some point. So it's nice to see that like, he does need to be invited in and they explain that, you know, as long as Cordelia's alive, that, and she even does this whole, like, you know, they, he kind of reminds her, you have to invite me in Cordy. And she's like, you promise you won't go bad again. And he's like, Cordelia. <laughs> and I think that was legit. He should have like taken a moment of like, yes, I promise I won't go bad again or something. I don't know. Like being exasperated with her because she has reservations because we've seen how evil Angel can get, you know, it's legit that she would be resistant to inviting him in, you know? Okay. Kate is in Angel's house. So he, when she finds out, she suspects him um, because she found him at the apartment of, of somebody that was dead. So he was able to go in. Um, so she thinks that he's doing it. So she goes to his apartment. How the fuck did she find his apartment? I mean, I guess maybe she was tailing him or something. They don't establish how she knew how to get to his apartment. They just showed her in his apartment. And grappling hook fail. Okay. That was a nice little moment. I like that. Like, you know, little moments of this happened in the last episode and in this episode where we see little moments of Angel, like trying to be cool. Like he has a grappling hook in his jacket and then he tries to use it and it totally fails because like what he attached it to just falls down. Like the boards or whatever they that he attached the grappling hook to just fall down is like okay <laughs> I like that like they're establishing him as like they're setting up these shots that are like typical um a cool Batman kind of guy shots but then it turns out that he fumbles it somehow I like that aspect I like thinking of Angel as not being as cool as he looks um let's see Angel looks like lobster. Oh, with the, um, they make a, they're making fun of the business cards because it's just sort of a weird lumpy figure that's supposed to look like an angel on the business cards. And, um, Angel gives one to Kate or something at the end of the episode, like when she realizes he's not the killer and like, maybe they're going to have a reluctant reliance or alliance from now on. And he gives her a card and she's like, why is there a lobster on this or something like that? So the episode has like a bookend at the very beginning, Angel's sitting in the dark um, and Doyle's like, we need to go out. We need to, we're a couple of attractive men and we should go out and about the town and blah, blah, blah. And it turns out he gets his wish because, you know, they have to go hang out in the nightclub to save somebody. And, and at the very end of the episode, um, he's like, okay, so we should go out like blah, blah, blah. And Doyle's like, no, it's all right. You can just hang out in the dark. And he's like, thank God. And so it's just a nice little bookend of 
Yes, Angel's still going to be broody in the dark guy, even on his own show. Thank God he's still going to retain that aspect of his character. So that's the episode of Angel. Okay, let's see. Quote, like I said before, what was it? I don't know, something Cordelia said was the quote of the episode. What was it? Can't find it now. Whatever, I told you about it whenever I said it, so that's fine. Right? I don't know if I should do, like, full ratings. I'm still kind of figuring that out. Like, should I do the full, like, all the ratings for Angel episodes? Or just talk about them for a few minutes and be done with it? I mean, I at least want to give the 5 by 5 ratings for Angel. And then maybe I'll just point out other stuff if it seems important enough. Like, nothing stood out as a featured outfit on this episode. Nothing stood out as a featured object of this episode. So let's just leave that shit out. That's how I'll do it. Okay, so it'll be like, I'm going to be keeping track of small blonde girls that Angel thinks he needs to save. I'm going to keep track of... Should I do at least MVP and then 5x5 five five ratings? And then other stuff just if something happens to stand out? So the MVP of the episode I set as being Kate. I don't know why I did that, thinking back. It was just last night that I watched the episode, but sure, it's Kate. <laughs> um, five by five. So my first score is always out of five. How well is the treatment of women in this episode? How well does this episode treat women? Not very well, because in all the interactions between men and women, because this episode is all about lonely hearts, it's all about dating and finding people in a bar. It's very heteronormative, all the interactions between men and women in this episode. Very heteronormative. We get that stupid bullshit of Cordelia not being able to type, and I think that's a little sexist because we're supposed to believe that Angel can. He's never looked at a computer before in his life. <laughs> um, so, yeah, treatment of women is not great. It's not egregiously bad. Like, Cordelia does stand up for herself. Kate stands up for herself. And she even says to Angel in that first conversation when he's like, are you maybe in need of saving? She's like, no, I'm not in need of saving. <laughs> um, and she just, like, vacillates between, like, being witty and interesting and confident and just like insecure as fuck in the next sentence it's very strange like the way they introduce her in those first few conversations with angel before we find out that she's a cop i don't feel like we ever see her that way again i think we see her as the hard as nails cop from now on i don't think we see i mean we see some vulnerability in her throughout the series but i don't know so, treatment of women is not great, but it's not egregiously bad, so I'm going to put it at a three. There wasn't, like, a ton of red flags besides the whole, like, Cordelia doesn't know how to use a computer thing, which isn't necessarily sexist, but I feel like it is. If we're letting Angel be good at computers and Cordelia be bad, that makes no sense knowing their history. As far as enjoyability of the episode, this episode was difficult to watch. Like, I think my mom and I paused it several times, and, like, every time we started it again, we were like, oh, fuck, this is still going, <laughs> you know? Um, I don't really ever want to watch this episode again, honestly. This is probably the third time I've seen it. 
because I know I've watched Angel all the way through at least twice, and I think I've only seen it all the way through twice. So this is definitely at least the third time I've ever seen it. I'm not going to keep like an active list of Angel episodes that get put in a vault the way that I do with Buffy, because I may just never even watch Angel again. After this particular time of watching Angel, it's going to kind of be the definitive moment for me. I don't think I'll get rid of the DVDs because there's crossover episodes that are important that I'm going to revisit, like the whole Faith story arc. Anytime Buffy is on Angel, I'm going to keep that. I do enjoy, for the most part, season five of Angel. I mean, there are good things about this series. Let's not talk about the series as a whole yet. This is only the second fucking episode. But as far as, I just think this episode kind of sucked. Let's give it a one. I'm, I'm stalling because I just didn't know what to do. But let's just give it a one. It cr probably could be worse, but I didn't like it. So that means this episode, total score, three times one, gets a three. So that's it for me today. I will be back next week to talk about the Buffy episode, Harsh Light of Day. I think we get some, ooh, I think that's a, ooh, that's a, that's a, a Spike episode because he comes back with, he's dating Harmony now and he finds the ring of Amara, which allows him to dwell in the sunlight. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So we get to see Spike in the next episode of Buffy, Harsh Light of Day, and then the um, Angel episode is called In the Dark. So I think that's a, I think that's on purpose. Harsh Light of Day and In the Dark. Interesting, right? Interesting. So we're going to have a Buffy crossover real soon. I think that's not this next week, but the week after. So the, October 26th, I Fall to Pieces. I'm pretty sure that's the Angel episode, I Fall to Pieces. I pretty sure that's the episode where Buffy shows up and Buffy and Angel have a shit ton of sex. Is that the one? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. I might be getting all mixed up. So ignore me. Um, I think it might be called I Remember You instead. So that's not till next month. But anyway, um, Harsh Light of Day, I'm pretty sure, is the Spike episode of Buffy. So the reintroduction of Spike as a character into Buffy. And he's going to be a pretty much every episode character from now on. Um, so that's exciting. We get to start talking about Spike on the regular, which we really haven't been able to do since season two, because he was not around like at all in season three. So Spike's coming back, guys. All right. Let's look forward to next week then. I hope you guys have a great week and I will see you then. Bye.